Today is a very special episode. We are welcoming our first guest, Ryan Finn, who is a close personal friend of mine, but is also a very prominent person on the internet. They are a fellow content creator who speaks a lot about fashion archiving, fashion theory, and sustainability, and she was also featured in The Face Magazine and Elle Magazine. So needless to say, I am very excited to have her on. Hello, Ryan. Hi there. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm a fashion theorist, a writer, um, a fashion content creator, and I talk about fashion on the internet as it relates to like digital history. So how did you first get into fashion theory? I don't even know about fashion theory. That's such a good question because I don't really know when I started getting into the theoretical aspect of it, but it might have been Tumblr as much as I hate to. Um, talk about Tumblr any more than I already do. <laughs> All I do is talk about Tumblr, but I think it probably came from Tumblr, people applying like gender theory and race theory to like any and every human interaction ever created. Like people being like, this TV show came on, we have to talk for three hours about like where they put the coffee on the table because of race relations. And I'm like, do we? I don't know. And it just made me realize like you can apply theory to everything. And then, yeah, I think that's how I got into the fact that fashion is like much deeper than we see it as. As a person who had a really superficial relationship with fashion, I was like, oh, it's a bit deeper. Wait, so did you never talk about, like, did you never get involved in discourse on Tumblr? I was like too involved in discourse on Tumblr. <laughs> and it's so weird that I was never really involved in like enough fashion discourse. I was involved in every other form of discourse. Yeah, I was like a really big discourse girly on Tumblr. I'm not going to lie. But I was like fandom discourse, which is like... Oh, I love that. No, no, no. It gets worse. It was Disney fandom discourse. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was like up to bat talking about Mulan and how she was such like an intersectional feminist for... I don't know. Just like using buzzwords that I didn't fully understand and applying them in context where it didn't make sense, but just because everyone else was doing it and I felt like I was being smart by also doing it. It's also like it, it becomes one of those fishbowl type of experiences when everyone is kind of like circle jerking each other off and we're like, oh, we're all so smart. But then like whenever I had conversations with real life people about what I was talking about, they were like, you're crazy. That's so real. But <laughs> That's so real. I was going to say I was probably reblogging it. Like exactly. Stop. And we need to amplify this voice in this moment. <laughs> but I also feel like that's kind of how I feel about Twitter now. Same. I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, so me today, this morning, like tweeting about whatever the heck I'm always talking about. You also delete so many Twitter threads. I know. And it's so frustrating because I'm always like, I'm going to like this and then it'll be, you can't tweet deleted. And I'm like, why? I speak your truth. <laughs> say it louder. Say it prouder. <laughs> I didn't even realize until really recently where I met somebody in person, they were like, um, they were like, Ryan, you tweet and delete, like you tweeted and deleted this morning. It's so nice to meet you or something. And I was just like, I thought people couldn't see it. I literally think when I delete it, that it didn't, it erases the space time continuum. No, no. It, I think it's like a glitch because it'll show the tweet still there. But then when you try to engage with it, it's gone. That's so humiliating. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not that person anymore. That's not where I am mentally. Let me get this straight. You are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And do you still use Tumblr? Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and you have a blog spot. 
Is the way that you interact with all of these social medias different? Do you feel like you have the same type of persona across the board or what is your relationship to each of these? They're so split. It's so weird. I realized that the other day that like I post – so like I use Instagram really oddly – um, I don't know how to explain how I use it, but I use it really seriously. Like I take myself extremely seriously on Instagram for no reason. Like nobody really cares. But I take myself so seriously that I don't like posting photos like with my friends on Instagram and I only put them on close friends. And then I put them on my Tumblr, like my public Tumblr. Like if I'm standing next to like my best friend in the world, I'm like, nobody on Instagram is allowed to see that I have like a human friend. I don't want people to know I have human relationships. And then I put it on like a public blog that has thousands and thousands of followers to see it. And then on Twitter, I feel like the same. I'm like, nobody needs to know I have human relationships. I'm just here to consume fashion information and like teach. And then again, I'll like close friends it to like hundreds of people. I don't know. I think I take different platforms really, really seriously. And I feel like Twitter is for like fashion education. YouTube is for fashion education. TikTok, fashion education. Instagram, like being crazy. And like take myself way too seriously. And Tumblr, like being free. Why do you think that there's such a big gulf between how you use Tumblr and how you use Instagram? I don't know. I really don't know. I think there's something about Instagram that makes me feel like I'm being perceived by certain people. Also, I know that like there are specific people who follow me on Instagram who I'm like, I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to let them down. And they're realistically like, didn't see, don't care, doesn't matter. And I'm realistically, like, it's like the algorithm has suppressed your content anyway. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, I didn't know you were still on Instagram before you're like, taking it so seriously. I don't know. I take Instagram seriously based on who follows me. And on Tumblr, it's so anonymous. That's why I think I like it. I don't know exactly who's following me. I'm not checking who's following me. Like sometimes people will be like, I saw on Tumblr you posted it. And I'm like, I forgot. There are humans attached to it. Instagram, I do not forget the humans are attached. Instagram, I'm like, so-and-so saw it. Person from my childhood saw it. Person I'm not friends with anymore saw it. Like, And things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think I also have a pretty um, anal relationship with Instagram because – I've, like, archived so many photos from, like, years ago, and every so often I'll, like, log on and do, like, another archiving spree because I'm like, oh, these photos, like, don't represent me anymore. And I think it is really just because everyone and their mother is connected with me on Instagram. I feel like your Instagram's, like, such a good example, though, of, like, well-curated, like, images. I've, like, used it as an example. I was like, oh, my God, I have to get – Yes, I've been at, like, an event, and I was like, I have to get good pictures like this, like, me at this event. (laughs) I'm like, this is what the brand wants. This is what I have to give them. I think it's also because I have my Instagram associated, like, with my media kit and everything when I submit to brands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fashion brands especially, like, they rely on Instagram still more than any other platform, which is weird Mm -hmm. um, to me because I'm like – not I don't even post that often on Instagram but it's like that's what they want to see to get a representation of who you are Mm -hmm. which is like honestly I feel like Instagram is probably the least authentic to who I am because it's just photos and I don't really talk that much on Instagram because I have like I feel a weird way about being on live like I can't be on live even though I know you're on live all All the time time, 24 7 (laughs) it's so embarrassing that's another thing that I feel like is not real (laughs) wait but why do you enjoy being on live I literally, I don't know. I think it's honestly because I switched to freelance and I used to work in an office and I used to have like two jobs. I'm so used to being around people and talking to people all day, running my mouth literally 24-7, but also like hearing from people 24-7 is so natural to me and it makes me uncomfortable to sit in my house, like finish my work for the week in an hour and then just like be in my thoughts. I'm like, what does everybody (laughs) in the world think? I like need to be in touch with everyone's thoughts. And I also like don't 
like how permanent it feels to tweet something or post on TikTok or on YouTube and have people believe that your thoughts are not like your thoughts can't be changed or be flexible. And that's why I like live because I get to have fashion conversations like about fashion week where someone's like, well, what about this way? And then I'm like, oh, I've completely changed the way that I think because of someone's feedback instead of making like a permanent TikTok. Even if I delete it, people believe that it's a lot less like flexible. Have you ever posted like a hot take on Twitter and then someone comments with like something that you tweeted like a year ago that contradicts what you're saying now? It's such a fear of mine, but I think that that's part of why I try to make every single opinion that I have on Twitter, especially about fashion, super like multidimensional. I'll be like, and that collection was bad, but what if it was good? And what if we just didn't understand it and we need to take the time, but we don't need to take the time because that's not our responsibility. Like, I literally, like, and it makes me interact in a really specific way that I don't think is healthy or fair to me or them, like anybody reading it, but I think... It, it, like, dictates it. I'm scared of that. When I used to be a lot more, like, volatile in terms of, like, opinions and, like, discourse, people would always do that. They'd be like, right, but you said. And so I've searched all my – I mean, never mind. Let me not say that. But I, <laughs> I search a lot of my tweets and try to delete them because I'm like, you're not going to weaponize this against me. I'm allowed to change. I'm allowed to grow. No, but it's so true, though. I'm like, we do. We, we do grow. We do change. Or it's like you come across new information that you didn't know before. Exactly. Do you feel like you can't – really say what you want to say sometimes because of these like limitations um of having an opinion be so concrete on the internet i definitely do and i think that's why i go to youtube for like certain fashion opinions or even some of my fashion reviews like if i'm on tiktok i'm going to be a lot more neutral to positive about a fashion show and on twitter not because those are my only thoughts but because i don't want to create an environment that's like super volatile that makes it seem like things are so simple and so i'll I'll go to YouTube and like explain in depth exactly what I mean because I know I have control over the time limit. If I need to take an hour to explain how something is multidimensional or it's bad, but it doesn't mean that we have to hate the designer or hate this part of fashion. I feel like YouTube is like my only outlet to do that. And on Twitter, if I'm like even speaking completely neutrally, people are like, exactly, I hate that too. And I'm like, (laughs) I didn't say I hate that. That's not what I'm saying. So I feel like I have to be like very superficial or like – encouraging people to think for themselves or neutral on Twitter and TikTok just because of like the environments on there. Do you think that it's still valuable to have negative opinions about something or do you believe like you shouldn't have negative opinions because it just means like you're not getting the full picture from like the designer for instance? I think negative opinions are really valuable and that's part of why I like to stay on TikTok and Twitter because I'll leave that to the people who do it. I'm like, if you are like tooting and booting each fashion show and being like, this one's ugly, this one's good, I think that that's necessary and important and I'm happy that other people want to do that. But because my perspective is like, there's always like more than just like good or bad. Nothing is so simple as like fully negative or fully, well, not nothing. Let's not say nothing. Some things are terrible. (laughs) I think that negative opinions are important, just not so important for me because of like my audience size and like the impressionable nature of like some of the people who follow me who take some of the things that I say as gospel. And I'm like, anyways, I said that yesterday. I disagree. I don't want to ever be like that collection was bad. Get more information and be like, it was good. Cause like either, either one doesn't really matter. But I think negative opinions are really like critical opinions, I should say are really important. I mean, I've if I title a video with something that's more negative sounding, like it's like, oh, like these dresses are ugly, like that's like my thumbnail or something, that is always going to get more engagement and more clicks because people are just drawn to negative negativity. Whereas I feel like 
people are not drawn to like neutrality I agree. It's hard because, like, sometimes I'll talk about fashion and because I'm, like, not taking what seems like a positive or negative position, people will like any reply to me that's disagreeing just because they feel like that person has a stronger opinion. It's hard It's hard because it's not going to work. Like, there's never going to be a time where I can just present things, like, really complexly and get as much engagement as I would just being like, this is ugly. Like, yeah. this is terrible. It will never – I've tried it on every platform. <laughs> I'm like, guys, let's change how we think. And they'll like that video. And then the next video, they're like, no, it's ugly. Or no, it's perfect. And I'm like, Ugh. This reminds me of um, a deleted thread you had oh, God. about um, – I think it was Virginie, Virginie and Maria Grazia uh-huh. and this, like, idea of how we were <laughs> – Okay, so Ryan t- made a thread or, like, made multiple tweets. You don't even make threads sometimes. That's what bothers me. You just do, like, consecutive tweets. I know. And I'm trying to find the starting point, so but then sorry. you've already deleted it. But made a series of tweets about how we respond, how high fashion Twitter tends to respond to uh, Dior and Chanel's collections. Okay, to make this context clearer, a lot of people on the high fashion side of Twitter, dubbed high fashion Twitter or HF Twitter for short, they don't like Virginie Viard's Chanel or Maria Grazia Chiari's Dior. Instead, they often will shit on these runway shows and praise previous collections for the houses by Karl Lagerfeld and John Galliano, respectively. Lagerfeld and Galliano's designs were much more youthful and eccentric, but Ryan's point of view was that while we may not like the new Chanel and Dior, it's important to remember that Viard and Curie are bringing business to the houses, so clearly Chanel and Dior's clientele do like their designs. And I thought it was like really interesting because I was like definitely for what you were saying, and I've also, but that's also something that I've changed over like the number of months. So I know that if I made like a tweet specifically, someone's going to come back and like, they'll be like, oh my God, but on February 14th, <laughs> like 2006, like, literally like, 1932, <laughs> you wrote that you hate Chanel's collection. But I don't know. I, I think like just getting more information about who the designers actually design for and the kinds of pressures that every fashion house is under when it comes to being able to make sales has really changed the way that I for, like perceive a fashion show rather than it just being about design and art and stuff that I like but whether or not this is going to be something that is liked by like the 50 to 60 year old women who are actually keeping this business alive it's something that took me a really long time too I completely was like I do not care about any fashion house that isn't like young and subversive and experimental and it has to be like bras and panties and it can't be like covered up and then I literally realized as a person coming into their age, like, because I'm older now, I'm like, oh my God, I'm old. What about if I'm even older? They have to make clothes for me. Like, as much as I think I'm going to be, like, dressing in an experimental, like, goth, like, weird, <laughs> hashtag weird girl aesthetic, like, I don't know that if I'm 60 and, like, ultra wealthy, like, that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you but manifested. Yeah. Speak into existence. It just, like, made me realize, like, other people than me exist in the world, especially in fashion, and especially with money to, you know, perpetuate the operations of a fashion house. And it, it literally was just something that came with age. I was like, oh, yeah, fashion isn't just for me. And then I started reading books about menswear. And I was like, oh, my God, men exist, too. They need clothes, too. Like, <laughs> so many things just opened up for me. And I was like, oh, this is how I want to evaluate fashion, not just from, like, my own perspective of what I would wear and wouldn't wear. But that's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard because you do want to just be like, that's ugly. Like, yeah. nobody's going to wear that. Nobody's going to buy that. But it's like, actually, the people who have a lot of money 
do want to buy it. And I'm like, and also, even if we do think it's ugly and nobody our age or with our fashion taste wants to buy it, it's so interesting to examine why certain things are ugly, why certain people want to keep certain aesthetics that way and what that means in terms of power. So I'm like, let's tap in, y'all. What have you come up with when thinking about why are certain things ugly? Okay, this is hard to explain. I think a lot of things don't look the way that I would dress and don't align with my aesthetics because they want to maintain power and a position at the top of a hierarchy and hegemony. And they want to maintain distinctions from like the way that I am. Like they don't want to look like a queer black goth person in Bushwick. Wait, so you think that your style is considered ugly? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) I think the opposite of my style is ugly. I think if you don't dress like me, you're ugly. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think like um, when fashion looks like matronly, we can say, or conservative looking, I used to be like, why would they ever want to do that? It's like, because they want to conserve. They want to look traditional on purpose. They don't look traditional by accident. They literally want to not look like young people. They want to not look like queer people. They want to not look like people of color. They get that you don't like that fashion and they want to make sure you never like that fashion so that they can maintain distinction and power and people can look at them and know they're nothing like you. They're not broke. They're not black. They're not queer. They are like at the top of like the systems of power and they have to, they cannot like adopt cool, quote unquote, like cool young people aesthetics because they're not, that would make everything blend together and power would have no meaning. And I'm like, oh, so knowing these implications about a uh, typical, <laughs> in your words, matronly style. Shout out to the matrons. <laughs> do you feel like that kind of style makes you uncomfortable because of those cultural implications? Or is there a way to like separate the style from the symbols? I like it even better now that I know those implications because one, that means I can appropriate it and be like, no, <laughs> this is for, I'm like, actually, this is actually for me. Yeah, literally. I'm like, if you're goth, wear this. <laughs> if you're black, put it on. Um, I think it's cool to like appropriate it, but I, I actually started like finding um, like beauty in it. I know that that's problematic, but I, I found beauty in it, like seeing that that's why they want to do that and that that's not okay or like those distinctions or, you know, hoarding of wealth or power, they're not good, but I'm like, interesting. And I can like pay attention to the details or like, the um, pattern making, draping, sewing, embellishments, and fine, like, technical aspects of design. Um, that's what I find value in it instead of, like, the power. I just pretend the power isn't there <laughs> in terms of appreciating it in that way and then acknowledge the power in terms of, like, analyzing it. Do you think that the whole, like, old money type of look, Oof. that the, the power in that is being reduced because of how accessible it is to copy those elements especially like with all these tiktok guides of like how you can look chic and powerful and how you can look old money and wealthy i think it's not being reduced because with all due respect i don't think anybody who's making tiktoks about it has access to old money interacts with people who have old money or looks old money like i I don't want to be like, I interact with wealthy people all the time. But like, I used to work at a luxury fashion space that had like a wall of $50,000 bags. Wearing fast fashion, like basics, and then being like, I'm a minimalist, I'm an elitist doesn't make you look old money. And that's like what they're like, encouraging people to do on TikTok. And the thing is, like, if people on TikTok do that, they're going to do something else to maintain distinction. And I think that they still are. I think that they're doing a really good job, like old money is doing a really good job at not letting people into what they actually look like to the point that people are making those misleading TikToks being like, this is how to look old money. And I'm like, it's not. And that's so powerful that you have no idea how old money actually looks like TikTokers. Like, I think it's cool. How do you think old money people actually look? 
Give us the inside scoop. Um, <laughs> I think they dress for occasion. That's something that I've noticed. And I saw a TikTok where somebody said that, and he was like, I actually interact with old money, and they dress for occasion. They literally have, like, their rain boots outfit for when it's raining, and then they have their other outfit when they get to the occasion, and they have their other outfit for once they're, like, transitioning from the car to whatever, like... I don't know how to explain it. It's not just minimalism. It's not just basics. It's not a turtleneck and slacks from Zara, (laughs) as much as I would love for everybody to be able to emulate that and get into different spaces. I don't know. The old money, I feel like it's not even detectable by me sometimes. I feel like they're so inconspicuous. They're secrets. And it's also a vibe. It is. I uh. think something that I've thought about with my own definition of fashion is almost that like fashion is not just clothing, but it's like everything about a person's presentation And there's so many factors that go into the way that, like, rich people just carry themselves and the etiquette books that they, like, are taught and, like, drilled into their brains. Like, I had a couple friends who – and I don't – I don't know if this is necessarily, like, an old money thing, but they went to, like, Cotillion or something where it's, like, you just, like, learn how to, like, ballroom dance Mm -hmm. and, like, where to – place silverware on a dining table Mm -hmm. and it's just those little things that you have to learn over time like you have to get like a pretty woman treatment yeah to to get like you can't just go to czar and get a blazer yeah literally there's so much subtlety to it and there's so many things that i see people say on tiktok and they're like rich people would never do this and i'm like i promise you they're like rich people would never wear like sneakers or try to conspicuously consume that i'm like you've never interacted with a rich person rich people be like come to my house i'm so rich i'm such a nice like they're like go up the 15 elevators that are inside of my home they're they're, like have no problem conspicuously consuming sometimes they have no problem wearing like designer logo sneakers sometimes they wear it maybe in a different way but i'm just like it's so mysterious it is so uh so difficult to tap into it just is oh my god rich people love them (laughs) shout out to all the rich people i'm just kidding (laughs) it is yeah okay so maybe a hard pivot maybe not necessarily hard pivot i don't know you're kind of known on the internet for stop stop it's gonna be a good thing for sharing a lot of resources when it comes to fashion theory you've made like tiktoks about how you get into art how you like learn about things how do you feel about the gatekeeping nature of fashion and art? I have so many feelings and thoughts. <laughs> okay, so I personally don't mind sharing resources. Like part of the reason why I share so many resources is my hope is it just encourages people to see that there are resources. Like when people say that they've actually read a book that I recommended, I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. It's not that serious. You don't actually have to do it. Um, But the reason why I share so many resources is like, I want people to know that they should find their own journey. So the way that I got into fashion and art was being chronically online in elementary school, talking to adults on like, this is not recommended, not advised. Wait, how old are you? Uh, Third grade. Talking to people who are like 17 to 30 to 40 on chat rooms about fashion. (laughs) I (laughs) I know it's not right. I'd be like, I'm 17. And I was in third grade. <laughs> okay, but that's so real because, like, when I was – no, I was, like, a little older, but still, like, I was 13, and I had, like, friends who were 24 on the internet. Yep. And they, like, were fully aware that I was 13. Oh, that's real. Oh, wait. Wow. <laughs> wow. But, like, also, as I told you, I was in the Disney fandom. It was, like, wholesome, but I was also, like, this was weird yeah. looking back. Yeah, they didn't know. They de- Mine people did not know that I was <laughs> in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Um, and I was just like traversing the internet as a kid. And I thought, I think that's what's so 
fun about fashion and art and finding yourself and just finding out what your interests is, interest is real interests are <laughs> and establishing an identity. And so that's what my hope is that people see that there's like work that goes into it. I literally never thought people would actually buy books or read the whole book that I recommend or things like that. I just hope people see that there's value in finding it out yourself. Like when people complain about gatekeeping, I'm like, why would you want a manual on how to like find things you like? And why don't you see value in the things that you already like in that way? Like what someone's identity is, I sound like I'm preaching. Oh my God. Yeah, preach. Keep going. <laughs> What's someone, Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> what someone's identity already is, it doesn't have value just because you associate social capital with it. Like for some reason, that's what I don't get, what people don't get about it. Like people are always like, oh my God, how did you know all these high fashion designers and like all these niche fashion interests? I'm like, it was not cool when I liked it over like 15 years ago. So that's the point. You don't have to like something that's cool now and like want the guide on how to buy into it. You just need to find things that you actually like. Like, I just actually like those things. Thank God it became cool so I can, you know, leverage it into a career in fashion and being like, I've always known about this so I can make money off of it and like, you know, things like that. But like, that's not how interests and like finding things that have value to you should be. It should be about what enchants you, whether it becomes cool or not. And so like, it's not gatekeeping that people want you to find things you like. I'm like, find it out. Like the real gatekeeping in fashion is people not getting jobs, not like people not being able to buy into being cool. I'm like, what are you going to do with that if you're cool? True. How do you feel about gatekeeping when it comes to, like, clothing items? Because I noticed that a lot of – I mean, this has always been the case, but especially on TikTok where people will, like, post their outfit and then people will comment and be like, where is this from? And then, you know, like, they don't reply. And I saw this one TikTok of a girl being like, now I comment on people who don't say where they're getting clothes. I say it's from Shein, so they'll always comment. <laughs> back and tell I me where that. it is <laughs> I don't know, that's so real but um <laughs> what is your yeah what is your opinion on gatekeeping where you buy clothes I feel so many different directions about it I like to gatekeep where I buy something until I've bought it because I don't shop very often so the other day I was posting that I was trying to get a specific bag from the real real and then I posted about it and then every single one in that style was in someone's cart on the real real after I posted about it but before I posted about it I'm not joking I was on the real real for five hours not a single one was in anyone's bag for five hours until I posted about it and I was like oh that's why you gatekeep because now there's like demand for the thing that I want and there's limited quantities of it so I'm like I get gatekeeping in that sense and I'm also just like why, again, why they need to buy into exactly what someone else has. It's just like an overconsumption issue. It's like, it partly doesn't matter because like Slay, and if it's an independent designer, please don't gatekeep. I mean, I don't, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so complex. I'm like, let the person make money, but at the same time, I get like the scarcity and like raising the value and things like that. It's just such a, nothing is simple. Nothing's good or bad. <laughs> Everything's so complex. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. I never even thought about that because I, I feel like, I have never felt the need to share what's in my cart, but I can totally see someone just like snagging that for me and it would probably scar me and I would not do it ever, ever again. But not to raise a point against you with something that you've said before. Oh my God. Because I was mining your Twitter. You're this the morning. Twitter person. Oh my God. <laughs> I was That's mining your Twitter this morning and you made a tweet about um, individuality versus authenticity and you shared this TikTok. 
everyone has a podcast. Why are you all so against everyone? Do you know how anti-human being you've been raised to be? You've been conditioned to believe that things are only valuable if very few people do them. That's weird. That's elitism, babes. Listen, I think we are so fundamentally anti-social because why? We only celebrate human beings for doing things that most human beings can't do. Now, that's weird, motherfucker, because in a collectivist society, you celebrate what people are contributing and you celebrate what the collective is able to achieve. In an individualist society, you need the mythology of the individual. And so the individual to become an individual has to be differentiated from everyone else. So you become so obsessed with finding people who don't remind you of other people. And in so doing, what do you do? You are alienated from humanity, from a genuine love in the human, from a genuine love in everyday people and everyday things and everyday phenomena that are not about something that no one can access or get into or achieve. Okay. What's wrong with everyone? Ask yourself that. Don't you also believe that there is value in like multiple people enjoying the same things as you that are not just trying to rip your style completely, but just genuinely like the things that you share? That's a good point. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of ate me up a bit. (laughs) No, yeah, that's definitely possible. And that's that's my hope. I think that's part of also why I like to share resources. I'm like, if you actually like something and you feel like you want to buy into it, that not just I'm doing, but that anyone's doing, like, hopefully you genuinely like it and see value in it that isn't just like this person on the internet has status. And I like like things about them so i want to buy into like them and like kind of absorb aspects of their identity hopefully there's ways for people to work to cultivate identity and then also be like okay well that also resonates with me which is allowed to happen so i'm allowed to want it too um that's my hope i just guess maybe i have like more cynical perspective on people and i'm like no you're trying to steal who i am you want to be me but i don't think people do no, I'm sure some people do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I totally get what you're saying, though. I, just, I was just being like a, a dead boy's <laughs> a devil's avocado. <laughs> and I also have felt like my style is very sacred to me. And I also have a fear. Like this came up with like the whole thin eyebrows coming back where it's not even that like everyone will get thin eyebrows because I honestly think it's a slay, but it's more like people will see me as following a trend or if if I continue to do what I do after this trend has come and gone, they'll be like, oh, you're so chuggy. And it's like, actually, this is just a part of who I am. Right. I think it's real. I totally think it's real. I think that's also part of why I like that I establish myself online as like some kind of like smart person. I'm always talking about theory because I can always be like, no, like it's not chuggy. You just don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is rooted in. I'm like, read Baudrillard because you're not understanding. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not chuggy. I'm not out of date. I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. I'm not like other girls. <laughs> like, you would never understand this. I'm like, I'm coming from coming at this from a different aspect than the rest of the public. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I'm doing it in a different way. But only joking. <laughs> I feel like I'm only joking. So I love this time of year when the weather gets warmer, the flowers are blooming, New York winter is over, I get to see my friends and family, and whether we're meeting up for birthday parties or barbecues or just spontaneous get-togethers, I always want to have a great wine. That's why I really love First Leaf. 
First Leaf is a subscription-based personalized wine company and they take the guesswork out of wine selection. You just answer some quick questions about what you know you like and dislike and their experts will curate a selection of award-winning wines tailored to your taste. So for example, you could end up with a selection of fresh rosés, fun sparkling wines, or spring-friendly reds. I love sharing great wine with my friends and family and I know you will too, so give First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com highbrow to sign up and save 50% on your first six boxes bottles plus free shipping that's t-r-y-f-i-r-s-t-l-e-a-f.com slash highbrow to save 50% off your first six bottles plus free shipping try firstleaf.com slash highbrow going back to what you said about consumption and stuff and people who are just like buying into this identity of another person and who may not genuinely actually like those things because like all those microtrends that happened in 2020 where it's like someone bought that House of Sunny green dress and then people were reporting that it was literally found in a Goodwill like a month later. It's so many people will just buy into something because they want to feel part of a group, but then they don't actually want to be in that for the long term. So I don't know where I was going with that. I feel it though. <laughs> I feel that too. And that's, again, I feel like I'm like repeating myself and I'm sorry, I have like three points inside of my brain. It's very small. But like, again, that's literally why I'm always showing people like this is how much work I take to cultivate identity and interest. I'm like showing you, I really do have to read art websites every morning or like read a million different books. And it's like things like that take time. And that's why you probably shouldn't feel like you should have to buy into things. And I understand like the collectivist thing, but it's like maybe that's why we take time to work on why we feel like we relate to other people or why we want to buy something that they have. Like if you're taking time to build identity, it's like kind of hard to like find out who you are, what you like, what you don't. And you wouldn't feel the need to be like reflexively buying the house of sunny dress because like hot, cool girls in LA with cowboy boots are also, <laughs> and like great highlights are also buying it. Like you would be like, you added that in. They're like, yeah, also great highlights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're slaying. <laughs> Cause I was liking, I liked that like look, not for me, like not for my personal style, but I was like, those girls are cool. And then I had to like self-evaluate. I'm like, but do I want to be those girls? Like, do I need to buy into it? Or do maybe I want to date a girl who looks like that? Or like, I don't know, like, you got to figure out what about it resonates with you. And if you're not doing that work, you're probably going to buy everything, ask people where everything is from and think, you know, you're not satisfied when you do get it because it had nothing to do with you. It had something to do with like an external desire. Especially in like our aesthetic climate and how people feel the need to like categorize themselves and like belong to a group. Because are we the same age? Probably not. I'm 29. Okay, I'm 26. Young and youthful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm Gen Z cusp. Okay, well, I'm going to say something that's like that we would both understand. I was worried if you were younger than me because then I'm like, she's never going to get oh, it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I meant 19. You didn't hear? <laughs> but I feel like when we were growing up, there were subcultures, but there weren't all these like micro aesthetics. There weren't so many ways to categorize yourself. It's like if you were goth, like, okay, cool. But then there were so many people who weren't that or weren't preppy. And like, because we didn't have so many categories, there was a lot more freedom and being able to just dress how you like to dress and not worry whether or not this like goes into the type of person you want to be. Um, shout out to Polly Vore. <laughs> she got me through some dark times. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a different time. I'm like, oof, there's so much now. Everything is like so Ugh, I feel so bad. <laughs> I feel bad for young people. Oof. But also then they're also like allowed to just be free on the internet and not care. Because I literally like 
have seen so many videos of girls just like putting their phone on the street and then doing their little like TikTok dance in public. And I'm like, I could never do that. Like I was never trained to do that. That's so – oh, my God. I do that. I'm older <laughs> okay. than you. Um, it's <laughs> uh, I do that. Okay, Gen no, Z passing. <laughs> yeah, see? Please. I told you. No, that's real, though. I do feel like they have a lot of freedom because of the internet and then a lot of restrictions simultaneously. I feel like it's such an interesting time. I know that nobody else agrees with this, but I'm like, there need to be more books written about this time. Why isn't anybody talking about this? They have to, like, be free on the internet, find themselves – and then people are like, you don't have subcultures, but they kind of do because the subculture is like the fact that they don't have subcultures and that people are saying that they don't, but they have subcultures on the internet of like trying to adopt like fake versions of subcultures. And isn't that a subculture? Like, isn't being a poser a subculture? Is that not a subculture? Stop. <laughs> like, I feel like they have their own vibe. I don't, do any, does anyone actually like claim to be a poser though? No. And that's the crazy <laughs> thing. There's no such thing as a poser now. That's like the era shift. In the early 2000s and mid 2000s, I feel like because we had like distinct, like you're goth, you're preppy, you're scene. And then it was like, you don't call yourself goth. You don't call yourself scene. You don't call yourself a punk or you're a poser. Now things are intentionally labeled because we have like mm-hmm. keyword searching so that people can find like how to buy into this, how to learn more about it. There's like no such thing as a poser. You can literally just say, I'm emo, buy emo clothes, like order them by searching emo clothes on Shein or whatever, or whatever other platforms you buy emo clothes on. Hot topic. Um, <laughs> You're like, uh, Shein is the only place to buy emo clothes. <laughs> I'm like, literally. I'm like, oh, where do young people shop? Um, <laughs> but you can literally buy into it. So there is no more poser. Because then also you can fake authenticity online because of the internet. You can establish an identity online as an emo. You can wipe your whole TikTok account, make videos as a quote-unquote emo person, and you are emo. You don't have to have friends in the subculture. You don't have to go to shows. You don't have to be known as emo. There's no, like, consequence, I guess, because of the internet. Your brain is actually so massive. <laughs> like, it's literally, like, I can't, I already knew this, but, like, it, it's growing by the millisecond. <laughs> This is, like, all I talk about. I'm like, uh, does anyone care? No, but you're so right. Because I didn't even think about that. Like, even, like, moving a little bit forward in the timeline when hipsters were around. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, such a faux pas to call yourself a hipster. Mm -hmm. Because people are like, you're not a real hipster if you claim that. You're just like the other girls, actually. You can't just buy a pair of large glasses and claim this. It's, like, name five records by the Smiths. Oh, this is so cringy for myself, but this personal story of like, I wanted to be a hipster so freaking bad when I was in middle school. But like, I knew this. I was like, I can't call myself a hipster. And I wasn't making any money in middle school because obviously, like, you know, I wasn't like a child laborer, thankfully. Thank God. Um, Thank God for that. Um, And I also didn't get an allowance from my parents. Like, my family didn't operate that like that. And they also like didn't um, spoil me with clothes. And so I didn't get, like, all the plaid shirts and, like, all the infinity scarf and stuff, like, the markers of hipsterdom. (laughs) And I was so self-conscious about not dressing like one and therefore not being one. And so I really clung to this idea that it's, like, because I'm telling everyone I'm not a hipster, then they'll be like, she's such a hipster. Yes, that's so smart. Oh, my God. You're a genius. The reverse psychology. Oh, my God. That is so smart. I was like, actually, hipsters are way too popular. <laughs> Doesn't really resonate with me. It's not a vibe. If anybody thought I was, I'm not. I like that. I know. And then, like, I would have, like, some poor soul, like, actually, like, you know, validate me because they'd be like, oh, my God, only hipsters would say that. And I'm like... 
yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, what would ever lead you to believe that? <laughs> you really think so? <laughs> that's so funny. I feel like I did that with like cultivating identity online. And I think that's why I'm still so chronically online because I think that's way I established identity. I was like, I can't be a hipster. I'm like similar circumstances. Middle school couldn't really afford anything like that. So I would just make my like MySpace look hipstery mm. and be like, you see now that I'm a hipster. You didn't get it before, but the way I've fashioned identity through cultivating identity online, now you know I'm a hipster. So then people see me in real life and they're like, are you a, are you seen? Are you a hipster? I'm like, go to my MySpace. It's very clear. And they're like, it's not. Like you dress normal. And I'm like, no. You don't get you it. You get it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the girls that get it, get it. Like, if you're a hipster, you know. No, like, that's how I cultivated my Tumblr, too, because I was uh, too young for my space. <laughs> Not to flex my age. <laughs> wow. Ageist. No, I was actually really sad about not being on MySpace. I felt like I really missed out, especially when I was, like, talking with my 24-year-old friends oh, as a 15-year-old. Yeah, I was let's like, talk about it. I was like, yeah, MySpace. <laughs> I was totally on that. Um, but, yeah, like, my Tumblr was totally cultivated to be, like, an identity that I felt was internal but definitely not external as, like, a way to validate my external, like, interests or whatever. Um, because I – my Tumblr – well, I had my fandom Tumblr. I had, like, different Tumblrs because I didn't like the idea of, like, combining all my interests together because I was like, this is not cohesive. This is not aesthetic. Yes. Um, so I had, like, a Tumblr that was very, like, I'm a Tumblr girl – you know, the type, the Arctic monkeys. And then I was like, and then I have my Disney fandom Tumblr where I'm like, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> but um, I like, I feel like Tumblr allowed me to tap into different aspects of myself that may not on the surface seem like they go together. But I feel like a lot of people have interests that don't necessarily go together. And that's just like the mark of being a human and having like, different influences in your life like socialize you to like different things but i think now there's so much pressure to be one thing or at least one thing at a time and it's like okay this week i'm gonna be cottagecore but in two weeks i'm gonna be like dark academia and in three weeks i'm gonna be seen but it's like you can't exist at an axis of all those things even though i feel like it should be easier because so many of these things are like reduced to aesthetic based appearances like you said you don't have to go to specific shows you don't have to be like that deep into a culture to be a part of it so it should be easier to balance multiple but people don't do it yeah not at all <laughs> people are, like so compartmentalized and like they're like people are like blo like tumblr blogs and then people say like my era i'm in this era or like mm -hmm. this aesthetic it's like they literally feel like they cannot have overlap in their identities and i feel the same way like that's what i was saying about how I act on Instagram versus Twitter versus Tumblr versus YouTube. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, circle. I'm the same way. Yeah, literally. I'm literally the same way, but I think in like superficial aspects of my life, like keeping my personal life private or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really hard and it, not to be like fake deep or like political, but because I feel like people turn into like commodities, it feels like it's um, betraying yourself or like the self that you're constructing for the public. If you do tap into both, like I have a secret personal fandom, like what? Tumblr as well that nobody would ever know about. Wait, so, what's the fandom? It's just freaks and geeks. But it what? Was, <laughs> I was obsessed with Freaks and Geeks. With the TV show? Yes. Uh, is there still a fandom for it? 
I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't <laughs> use the blog. I wouldn't, I don't use the blog anymore. <laughs> but like, I, I could not put that next to like high fashion, like Issei Miyake pictures. And like, right, they'd be like, what? They're like, like, you get hacked? Literally. And people would be like, I would try to make it carry over and be like, this is aesthetically pleasing. This is high fashion. People are like, huh? And I was like, delete. I didn't, I didn't post that. <laughs> what was that? Well, now with your uh, dweeb couture, Period. it is, it's, it's all cohesive. <laughs> I got to force these things together. By the way, I realized this wasn't clear. Ryan sometimes comes up with vocabulary that describes new fashion aesthetics, one of them being dweeb couture, which is kind of what Miu Miu is doing these days. Um, and a lot of it is taking inspiration from 90s and early 2000s corporate tech fashion, but it's also about reframing what silhouettes are considered cool, refocusing women's fashion through the lens of wearability and practicality, and challenging the common beauty idea now that beauty is attached to artificiality, so plastic surgery and flawless ageless skin. On these dweeb couture shows, a lot of the female models wear their hair with stylized flyaways, and the materials of the clothes purposely look more worn or wrinkled, challenging the perfection of, like, AI-simulated fashion trends. So, as we were talking about with, like, how emo and the definition of emo as, like, a fashion subcategory has shifted over time, when you have come up with these labels, either seriously or unseriously, do you ever think about how the definition of dweeb couture would shift later in the culture, like in several years from now? Oh my God, I never do. I never think <laughs> about the longevity of them. I'm like, these are all so fleeting. Nobody's even going to return to these like thoughts after a week. And that's kind of how I'm like comfortable saying them. Like, And also being like, I'm just joking, guys. He Just kidding. Don't label this. Don't think about it in this way. I'm just trying to do it for views. And like, you know, I'm like, please. But no, I never really think about it. And that would like make me so scared if anybody took any of those labels seriously or if they transformed. Because I feel like emo has transformed. Scene has transformed. All these things have transformed. I'm like, oh, no. Not the loss of meaning. Not the most tragic thing that could ever happen in society. So you think that, like, uh, these terms transforming is a negative thing? I think. I mean, I guess so, because then it would mean that, like, history is lost, which is, like, my the thing that I hate the most about the internet, that, like, history can transform or be lost if someone just goes back and edits, like, a web page. You edit a web page and be like, it always said this. And people are like, oh, it always said that. And I'm like, no, it didn't. That's really scary. So, like, I don't know. I want things to kind of be stagnant or have a documented record of how they've transformed, which I never find. People never said like, now emo means this because this changed this. It was just like, emo meant something in 2006. Now it just means like, I don't even know at this point. Yeah. I would like to think that documentation is possible considering everyone's like, nothing gets deleted in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do not have a lot of faith in Google search engines and et cetera because they tend to like prioritize like only the most current stuff to come up and it's crazy like things that I was able to find on Google five years ago like I could never find anymore like Google has scrubbed so many GeoCities pages you know like I actually have found like some of like the craziest resources on LiveJournal but um do you know what LiveJournal is? Yeah I didn't know that I didn't know there were still cool stuff on there well the problem is that like a lot of people uploaded pictures onto photo bucket and then photo bucket like (laughs) (laughs) a couple years ago i found like these really cool scans from this russian history book on live journal that was like talking about like um this type of russian dress in the the 1800s and i was like that's crazy because like i don't think i would have been able to find this unless i was 
a Russian scholar, right. but some like Russian person on Live Journal decided to like translate this to like her like ten friends on Live Journal. That's so, so cute. I know, and I was like, and that's magical. But because like it's not a really well trafficked site anymore, it's like you can't really find it just from Google unless you like specifically search like 1880s Russian fashion history live journal.com yeah so I I always think about that because I see how it shapes like the conversations that exist on TikTok and Twitter like I remember people were saying this one Alexander McQueen collection like was so out of nowhere and I was like it's not and I know for a fact that this is from um like it was a Sarah Burton recent collection and I was like I know it's from the past I go on every runway archive site cannot find the original image from the past it was on someone some random person's blog spot I was like here it is this is when Alexander McQueen did it but no other place had it so people thought that it was just random designs that were happening I'm like this is a direct reference to the one collection that isn't on every major fashion archiving site I'm like that's so dangerous because people are going to keep saying like this is out of nowhere this is a historical and there's the history it's just nobody can find it i just knew i was like what if it's on a blog so i searched like blogspot alexander mcqueen that's probably <laughs> happening like every day where we're just like why is this designer doing this and why is this fashion subculture like this and i'm like all of the blog spots that are lost like to nobody finding them just because they don't come up as a priority because nobody cares about it i'm like oh no history meaning it's <laughs> all gonna be lo- i'm like so scared of it every day everybody being like this collection's the best this collection's the most historical i'm like not the most historical the first to come up on google those are two different things like mm-hmm. just because it's accessible doesn't mean it was like important but sometimes it is yeah i hope like vogue runway actually like updates the backlog of a lot of designers yeah. like they start to a little bit but i'm just like when i'm doing like a costume design review or something and for instance like i I was looking into that movie, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. It's like a cute movie. It's like not very serious. (laughs) But um, it's like about this woman who goes to Paris to get like a custom Dior dress. And the costume designer referenced – she said she referenced a specific dress in the Dior archives that she like created this other dress to be like. And I was literally like on Google forever trying to find like – the Dior dress in like 1957 or something and it's like there's no record of it on the internet (laughs) (laughs) like it's like yeah I guess I would have to go into the archives again and even when I went to visit the Dior archives like they said that there's a lot of stuff that they don't have because they only started the archive project recently and they're basically just buying things that they find on auction websites and like they have a lot of sketchbooks so they like know what the designs are Mm -hmm. But I am assume, like, people who list their gowns or their, like, grandmother's gowns, it's like they're not going to know what this gown was named or what collection or what year it was designed in. So they're just going to be, like, Dior dress. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. And then some other rich person's just going to buy it. Yes. Like, <laughs> That's so crazy. That's what I was thinking about. I think it's Katie Grand, the, like, stylist and, like, creative director. Prada was, like, trying to style, like, stuff. And they're like, oh, we need, like, these vintage Prada shoes. And Prada doesn't have the shoes, but she does. So they go to Katie Grand, the stylist, and they're like, do you have these from, like, 1980, whatever? Do you have this? And she has the biggest Prada shoe archive, but Prada doesn't. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, That's insane. Where's the history? Is the reason that designers didn't or, like, that houses didn't archive their stuff is because, like, they, there wasn't enough money to, like, hold on to certain designs? Or, like, what is the reason? I wonder. Like, remember, did you see that Anna Sui dress drama on Twitter? Yes. I was like, oh, my God. And I feel like that's a really common thing. 
Okay, so for the Anasui dress drama, this happened last year, but this one person um, who goes by Seek the Fines, they tweeted about an Anasui dress from the 1998 fall season that was for sale on Poshmark. And then the day after, she received a message on her Instagram from the Anasui Instagram account. And the message was, hi, this is Anasui. I saw you sold this already, but I was wondering if it would be possible for me to buy it instead. We don't have the sample and it would mean a lot for me to have it in my archive. So the dress had been sold to Ashley Narcisse, who is a vintage sourcer, and she shared photos of herself in the dress on Twitter hours after receiving it, which sparked so much discussion about whether or not she should send it back to Anna. I don't think Anna actually ended up reaching out to this um, person who bought it, so I think she probably still has the dress. But yeah, it just like raises all these ethical concerns about um, whether designers have like a right to their own designs or products once they've already sold them and what the state of archiving is and it was just pretty crazy because there were people on Twitter obviously who were weighing in and being like you should leverage this and try to get mon- like tons of money like thousands of dollars or get fashion show invites or campaign contracts like don't just give it to them and yeah it was just like it was a it was an interesting time on Twitter <laughs> I talked to the costume designer of House of Gucci did you see House of Gucci, by the way? No, my parents saw it, though. Saw. My mom was like, like Not your parents yes. being more, like, fashion-oriented. <laughs> they are. <laughs> They're so cool. It was okay. The movie was, like, weird. Um, That's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> Their review as well. But it was covering, I forget how many years of, like, the Gucci house. Like, I'm probably like, not say House of Gucci again. But, like, you know, chronicling the House of, of Gucci. Gucci. And they brought in, like, this actor who plays Tom Ford. Um, Because they also introduced, like, Tom Ford's era of Gucci. And they did actually a runway show within the movie, like, Tom Ford's, like, collection. But the costume designer, when I was talking to her, she said we had to recreate all of those because we we went to visit the archives and they didn't have anything from that collection. What? Yeah, so... That's (laughs) so recent, though. Tom Ford. I know. (laughs) I'm so nervous. I'm like, we're not in the 1950s anymore. Like, what's happening? Oh my gosh, that's so concerning. (laughs) Now I'm really scared. (laughs) Fashion history. Oh my god, I better keep archiving and, like, collecting all my pieces then. If anybody (laughs) wants them, jump on Gautier if you need any. (laughs) Do you have specific designers that you are hell-bent on collecting? For me, it was always just collecting, not always, oh my god, I need to stop saying always, but it was recently, because I only started recently doing this, but I started collecting Jean-Paul Gaultier, and I picked Jean-Paul Gaultier because um, his clothes are the weirdest, and I wear, like, mostly basics, and he has the most flamboyant designer whose, like, entire, like, history that I know, and I was like, if you're gonna be spending a lot of money on, like, weird archive vintage pieces, it cannot always be, like, a $200 Rick Owens black skirt that looks like any other black skirt mm-hmm. like I already have enough so I have an unlabeled 1920s velvet coat it's kind of like a cocoon coat ish it was a thousand dollars I bet and I'm like this is no resale value <laughs> like also <laughs> which is why I think sometimes like collecting more recent stuff at least you can fall back on this idea that you can always sell it um, if you don't want it anymore. I agree. And I think that's bad. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I feel like I can see myself, like I, the way that I shop, because my family had no money, like when I was like 13. And that's when I started getting really into like fashion and shopping. I always think about the resale value of everything. And I'm like, I don't want to collect 
with the idea of resale in mind, but I do like I know that all of my John Paul Gaultier pieces are like really coveted by like archive fashion, like grailed boys as well. And I'm like, that's slays if I ever need the money. But I'm like, don't think like that, like get things you genuinely want. And I also don't need the money, like get out of that mentality, but I can't. I had a friend um, who was one of those grailed boys yeah, <laughs> and he collected a lot of like Yoji Yamamoto stuff and he would just like buy things and then sell them within like a week. Like after he like wore it once, like took a photo in it, he'd be like, well, I need more money for like other things to like, I guess, take a photo in and then mm-hmm. resell. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I always think about, I'm like, would you actually buy this if you couldn't make a TikTok, a Twitter post, an Instagram post, and a YouTube video saying that you got it? Like to myself, that's what I always think. And I'm like, if not, then you don't need to buy it. Like I don't need any new clothes in the first place. So like, I don't know. And I always like tell myself, wait a little while before you post on the internet that you got a new addition to your collection. Because if not, it's going to be a thing where you're like, I don't like posting on Instagram, but at least I got a new thing in my collection. So then every time I want to post on Instagram, it'll be like, then I need to buy something new for the collection. And that's not healthy. The problem is so many people use social media in that way, especially on TikTok, where it's like people are constantly doing hauls Mm -hmm. and they're like styling my new like blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating because I do feel like even when people are thrifting and like, you know, taking stuff out of Goodwill, which would end up like in landfills anyway, it's like you are still promoting this idea of over-consumerism to your followers who may not have the same kind of thrifting mindset. They're just going to be like, oh my God, this person keeps getting new clothes. Like this is so normal. Um, Whereas I feel like if you really do have that problem, (laughs) like you should just keep it to yourself and not have it like seep into the minds of all your impressionable followers fully and a thread on twitter that i said today that i haven't deleted yet because i've been sitting here but when it's appropriate (laughs) when it's appropriate i will delete it Um, but i was saying today that i feel like tiktok makes people feel like they have to like legitimize how much they shop because we like acknowledge that haul culture was a problem people on tiktok will be like no it's a haul but like i've always wanted this like especially with designer collections as well they're like no i got the Miu Miu ballet flats because i've always wanted them not because it's the biggest trend in the world i'm like um you probably got them because they're the biggest trend in the world and that's okay and what do you mean always i'm exactly. like they, they're kind of new yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like i got spring summer 2023 because i've always wanted it. i'm like we are it's in spring 2023 what are you talking about i'm like what but like that's what they're it's like really a big problem on there and it's not there's no stopping it i was on tiktok this morning and like three videos in a row people were like i have always wanted this and i was just like we cannot say that because it's just not true like sometimes we are buying things because we understand the social capital that comes with them in real life and online and when we can acknowledge that we can slow down but if not we're gonna like it's just gonna be a new version of like hall culture and i think it does like undervalue the things that you do actually love um because like i went through a phase like a couple months ago like kind of <laughs> I'm, I'm exiting that era where I was like buying a lot of things because I had this like existential crisis where I was like there I don't like anything in my closet and like there's nothing new or whatever and I was like cleaning out also things that I didn't like but there were some pieces that I've liked for literally years now that I've had for so long and I'm like it felt so good to have bought this because I knew I was gonna love it and then also to like I'm reaffirming myself now by being like, yeah, I do actually really love it. And it's like the high that I got from purchasing those pieces of clothing is so different from just like the general consumerism high. Yes. uh, (laughs) That's so real. I didn't even think of that. It does make it so that it loses meaning when there's something you truly love. And I'm like, maybe that's what it needs to be now that we find out what we genuinely actually love instead of being like trying to 
assert like some sense of legitimacy every single time we shop like i'm not an over consumer i'm a regular i'm a, I'm a true fashion fan it's like maybe <laughs> we're not like i was able to admit the other day i was like that please please top i got i got because i had store credit not because i actually <laughs> wanted it and i don't have the relationship that i have with like my like the skirt that i'm wearing today i don't have the same relationship with a basic gray skirt that i do this like very rare isamiyake piece because i was just getting it because i could and like that matters i'm like oh i need to foster a deeper relationship with the self i need to go back to (laughs) therapy i need to find out what's missing and why i'm shopping like this i don't know there's always a deeper message did you ever watch that movie confessions of a shopaholic no oh my god i should (laughs) (laughs) i I think i only watched it once but i remember like i was like 10 years old when it came out and i was like wow this is groundbreaking so do for rewatch because i I think they made points i don't remember but i think they made points (laughs) I assume there were points I made. I assume there were points because there must like, have been. she was a shopaholic and I think she got under control. So I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I think she was like using it for like some kind of therapy, which honestly a lot of people do. And yeah. I do that too because I'm like, oh, I'm feeling kind of down. Like, mm-hmm. let me just scroll through the real rail to yes. see if anything like tickles my fancy. <laughs> like, so and real. something always does. Of course. <laughs> Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, if you're looking, like, you will find something. Exactly. And so what I've had to do is just honestly, like, make myself not look. Yes. <laughs> People always want to go on, like, shopping. They're like, do you want to hang out and go shopping? I'm like, no, because then I'm going to buy things. Like, <laughs> vintage shop, there's going to be something cool. There's going to be something great. Right. And it's like, I'd rather just not know what's there. Exactly. Why do you think that, like, fast fashion and, like, other forms of non-sustainable fashion is so popular even when sites like the real real depop um etsy all these other marketplaces exist i honestly think people partly don't know or like don't know how to shop and i think that's what i found with always tweeting about the real real and then getting dragged on twitter every couple of weeks that i do it wait what you get dragged for it yeah when i'm like oh like this is a shoe on Shein. This is literally a Gucci shoe on the real real for the same price. People are like, okay, but that's not my size. And, da, 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 and they like yell at me. And I'm like, right, but there's only one anyway. And someone probably already bought it anyway. So I'm still allowed to post it because I have 40,000 people looking at this. It's not just catering to you. But yeah. literally, like, I think people don't realize the vintage market is what it is. And I, I know people think that they do. But every time I post about the real real, 20 people are like, don't share this, gatekeep this. And like 150 people are like, oh, I didn't know about this. That's so cool. Gucci, Prada, all these other brands that I think are aspirational and have high quality clothing, etc. I never knew that they were less than $100. And they just don't know. And also just I think like influencer culture connected to Shein makes people feel like it's the most accessible way to assert status, especially online, because you can have like a $100 haul and get like 50 Instagram posts off of it, like wearing completely (laughs) different things, like wearing a head to toe outfit in every picture that's completely different. And you can feel like the influencer fantasy. I think people want to be they want to feel legitimized in their choices, Mm -hmm. even when they're wrong. Yeah. And it's kind of like what we're saying about how people will be like, this is my dream haul Mm -hmm. or whatever, when to feel better about the fact that they have a consumption problem. And it's like people want to feel good about buying – they don't want to feel bad about buying Shein. Like they don't want to have to think about like all the kids in the factories in the global south, like making their clothes. Like they want to think about how they, as like a middle-class white woman – need options to look good at a function. And I think that's – it's kind of sad and it's something that I 
I don't really have an answer to because garments, like it's a craft to create that. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of schooling and it's like, it shouldn't be a reduced cost labor. Yeah. I feel like that's why I have to do so much work to like get people out of the, like what I call is like the last victim mentality where you see yourself at the bottom of like the rung. You're like, I'm someone who can't just buy whatever I want and look cool. That's so unfair. And I'm like, if you see that as a form of victimization, imagine people who are making the clothes for you don't get to buy the clothes because they can't afford them. Don't get to be cool and don't get to like live a fulfilling life. I'm like, I don't know how else to convince people other than like relating it back to them. Like if you think being cool is like not having the money to buy cool clothes that are quote unquote ethical or whatever sustainable. If you think that that's a form of victimization, imagine working in these factories for pennies as a child or like a pregnant woman like in your last trimester of life sewing things and then being in intent essentially an indentured servitude like ugh, like you have to get out of the mentality that you're the last victim because like it is definitely painful to not be able to be cool or have social belonging and i totally get that i like literally had four shirts for school in high school i always tell people that i'm like trust me i know like four shirts and there's five days a week i get it but i'm like that cannot be the last way that we think and when we're thinking like collectively and like globally we're not ending it at ourselves as the victims but it's like then you tell someone that and they're like so i don't deserve to be beautiful i'm like oh my you're not gonna <laughs> like, say it's like so the major point you're saying <laughs> is that fuck me like <laughs> so i'm dumb and i'm ugly i'm like i didn't oh my god i always try to make people remember like when people are like it is not my fault like that they can't they have to shop the way that they shopped and like they can't not constantly shop at Shein because they're entitled to like be cool or beautiful or like they have no other choice. I'm like, but then what did you do before Shein existed? Literally that. That's, it's not possible for you to say that this is the only way that you can shop. Shein is new. Like Shein used to contact me when I first became like an influencer, YouTuber. And it was also, it had a different name, She Inside, whatever. I'm like, you didn't know about this until influencers started pushing it. So where were you getting your clothes before She In? Okay, so when you got those clothes, how come you can't just wear those clothes then? Right. Like, why can't you hold on to the clothes from before She In? One, and if your body's changing and you're fluctuating, obviously I respect and acknowledge that. But I'm just saying, like, it just isn't realistic that She In can be, or like any, like, forms of overconsumption can be necessary if people never used to shop like this in the past. There's so many studies that say that. They're like, yeah. people never shop this much ever. So people are like, but I have to. So why didn't people from like 50 years ago? I mean, obviously, textile industry has changed. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like 15 different caveats. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I just hate it. And I also feel like in the 90s, like I always think about like 90s Afrocentrism. They used to dress different. They wore their hair in Afros, even though it wasn't on trend anymore. And people were wearing like relaxers and weave and straight hair and they just took the consequences of it like what is gonna what happened to people being like i'm standing up against like even though this is the way most of society looks or acts and this is how like the wealthy act or whatever why are we trying to emulate that and then saying it's a form of oppression when we can't instead of standing up against it like they were like nobody wears afrocentric clothes and i'm going to because i don't like that they weren't like nobody wears afrocentric clothes so i deserve to look like i'm not black it's like what that doesn't make sense. You're like, oh, the wealthy overconsume. I deserve to also overconsume. It's like, no, no one should. You're going in the wrong direction. Like, it's a tale as old as time. Like, people love to emulate the rich. Like, stop. <laughs> like, you guys, that's not, it's not a form of oppression when you can't do something that's horrible. <laughs> that's the most it's like, I also want to be an oppressor. Literally, they literally are saying that. They're like, I'm entitled to that. <laughs> what about me? What about my feelings? Like, what? <laughs> what? Don't I deserve to step on someone? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, no. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think obviously fast fashion is not good, but there's also like a hierarchy of like 
the baddest, which is she in, and then like worse, but like not as bad. It's like if you are just like a consistent Shein consumer, your footprint for the environment will be a little bit smaller if you went for like Old Navy. Yeah, like, I swear to God, like that's like even a baby step is better. Yeah, and also it's just like what you were saying, like how people should not want to just be trendy i think there's like multiple ways to be cool yeah. and people are just like not people who are falling into this one pipeline of having to copy everyone else it's not good and it actually it makes you uncool because people are like oh you're just trying to copy something and it's very clear exactly i always tell people that they're like this is the way that you like navigate and we deserve to dress like this to assert status i'm like you could assert even more status and look even quote-unquote cooler if that's your objective by doing something different actually I'm like, you're like, you want social belonging and inclusion from like buying into Shein or buying into these trends because people are like, but trends give you belonging. I'm like, but you could get above the people, like not even be in a terms of like in terms of belonging. You could be above people. Not that that's important. Not that hierarchies are important <laughs> for being above people, but like obviously it's important to these people who want to follow the trends. You could be above them by like buying sustainably and then like cultivating identity, which is a huge thing right now where people are like, really into people who have strong senses of identities and can communicate those. I don't think that buying into every trend is going to make you as like valuable or like cool in society as like having an individual identity. So I'm like, you're actually still doing it wrong. Like you're actually still on the wrong side. Like you're trying to get to like the most mainstream thing for status, but it's like maybe stand out and see if you can benefit from it that way. I don't know. And then it also benefits you. I'm like, I know that people don't even enjoy shopping that way because there's so much going to the landfills. Right? So you can't even like, say that you like it. <laughs> it's not working. You don't like it. It's not good for the environment. I'm like, Jesus. Like something's needs, something needs to change here. Something like, has to. At least one thing, one part of it. Maybe get stuff you like and just hold on to it. But ugh. when you slow down and get to know yourself, first of all, slay. It feels so good cancel your therapist just joking please don't but like it feels so good to work to get to know yourself so that you're not doing that and then you don't even like you're saving money it's giving like switch to geico you're saving money <laughs> like i don't know i feel like i i'm like preaching and proselytizing about it but it, i don't even know if it ever like works to get people i don't know so hard pivot <laughs> what are your predictions for the future of fashion or at least for the year of 2023 um, Dweeb Couture will take over. I see a hipster revival. I see. I'm just joking. Um, I think people are gonna dress down, which is gonna make it so that there's like a polar opposite where people are dressing really, really extreme, which I'm so excited for. Maximalism, minimalism, dichotomy. It's going to get really intense. I'm seeing more like theoretical and philosophical dressing, which I'm really excited about because I think people are like kind of tapping into it not being the most fun thing in the world to get an article written about every single micro trend that happens. So instead of participating in these weird micro trends, people are going to be like, I'm standing against it because the. What do you mean by theoretical dressing though? I feel like people are going to be tapping into philosophy and like post irony and like really really deep complex like things i feel like people are gonna be like reading books <laughs> like down i think people are literally gonna be reading <laughs> for the first time in yes. human history we will be reading it's giving foucault it's giving noam chomsky like i think people are really gonna be getting into it my hope is that people start like watching films reading philosophy reading books and then like basing their not basing their identities on that but like dressing based on what they actually think that's what i'm manifesting i'm spreading the read a book propaganda i'm doing the best i can 
Do you feel like you're dressing in the way that you think? <laughs> oh my god, yes. Oh yes. my god, yes. Wait, can you break it down for us? Kind of. I mean, I guess. Like we were talking earlier about how tum- how we would use like our tumblers to like compartmentalize our identities, and like I feel like when I was on Tumblr in the 2010s, I looked one way and my blog was like so the other way, and I did that because I had to be strategic. Like I worked in the mall first of all, and I worked at American Apparel. We weren't allowed to wear makeup or have crazy hair colors or tattoos that were visible or things like that and i also wanted to get a job i was in college so i was like i'm gonna dress really normal but like really extreme things online and now my thought process is like about freedom and expression and the complexity of life and sadness and um hopelessness and hopefulness all at once simultaneously and i think that that's kind of how i dress now i dress to reflect that tumblr like i look like how my tumblr looked at the time where i was too scared to like i was like i'll never have facial piercings because i always want to get a job if i work in fashion it has to be like a very traditional route i'm never going to do freelancing it's too dangerous now i do freelancing i work in fashion i have facial piercings i have bright red hair I dress kind of gay, kind of goth, kind of sad. And like, that's what I was feeling at the time. But I was just like, you shouldn't express that. Like, it should be private to your blog because what if there are consequences? And I think I intentionally, intentionally, like, invite consequences to my appearance. I look, not to be like, I look alternative. I look goth. I look seen. I'm a punk. But like, because I'm not going to label it because I'm I'm so cool. I would never label it. <laughs> like, not to say that, but like, I really do like accept the consequences for the things that I value, like dressing in a way that people sometimes are like, are you gay? And I'm like, yes. Or like, are you weird? And I'm like, yes. Instead of dressing normal and hoping, you know. That people like read you the way that you are. Mm-hmm. Or find my blog. <laughs> like, <laughs> so do you feel like the way you dress, like, in a way, is, like, healing your inner child? I feel like healing my inner child, my future adult. My future child? <laughs> yes, my future child, my inner child. <laughs> Everyone's kids. <laughs> like, yeah, like, my inner child, my inner adult, adolescent, se- current self, and literally future self. Like, as an adult now, I look back on my blog and I'm like, I'm so proud of myself for expressing those feelings. And I know that when I'm older, I'm going to be like, and now I'm so proud of myself for putting it on mm-hmm. and like showing it. Yeah, I think, ugh, not to go back to identity, but <laughs> I feel like that is like the major goal that I have with my life is being able to look back at old photos. And even if I didn't like what I was wearing, like, from an, like a, a viewpoint later on where I'm like, oh, what was that top or whatever? Like I can at least see that I was living authentically yeah, and that I was truly enjoying what I was like putting on my body and what I was doing. So, That's so but I don't think people can do that if like they're just trying to emulate something in the culture. Exactly. And I'm like, that's not going to be so fun. Like, it'll be so fun to just accept the consequences of who you are. Like, people were making fun of Rick Owens so hard when I started wearing Rick Owens. <laughs> it was, like, the biggest joke on the internet to, like, not like Rick Owens. And I was like, but I like it. And I'm like, and I love that. But not to be neutral. <laughs> like, not to, <laughs> I'm like, not to offer another perspective. But I do feel like, on the flip side, it can also be fun to, like, just see, look back on who you are regardless of whether you were confident in your style or confident in your identity or you were searching because like ideally you'd be looking back from a place of finding yourself and you'd be like oh wow she was a mess and that's kind of cool too but not to promote consumerism <laughs> like, no 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 you did it and we all heard it we all heard it 
<laughs> but no, that's true. It is. And I, I kind of, I was talking earlier about like the poser thing, but like, I think that that's like the most vulnerable thing that you can do is like be a quote unquote poser is like you're trying things out. You're trying to figure out who you are and you want social acceptance, which everybody wants, no matter how somebody dresses, there is some degree of wanting, understanding and compassion that unites us uh, all as humans as fake deep as it sounds to say. And that's why I love I like looking like looking back at myself like you were saying about how you're like, I'm not a hipster. Like, I love looking at pictures of myself where I was like, I was trying to be seen without saying I was seen and hoping people would get it because it shows that I wanted to be understood and have, you know, the things that everybody wants. I wanted to be gotten, understood. Yeah. Like so trend hopping, good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's my conclusion. Okay. That's, that's my final statement. <laughs> Overconsumed today, tomorrow, forever. <laughs> I think everything is a complex issue and that there's like nothing that's like right or wrong. And sometimes I I do stress about coming off as like holier than thou or like too pretentious, which probably was the result of like this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but just because like I think when you have really strong opinions about something, people will be like, oh, they think that they're better than everyone or like they think that their opinion is right. Um, so I am like trying to get better at like understanding like every perspective that that's what you do <laughs> i try and it still doesn't work people still are like you are the most pretentious rude exclusive i'm like oh my god i'm t- I, I understand you they're like no you don't <laughs> like i'm trying though and they're like you're not trying exactly <laughs> like you don't respect my lived experience i'm like <gasps> okay well i think this interview has gone Long enough, um, and you need to go back to Twitter to delete your thread this morning. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Ryan, for speaking with me today. It was very insightful and very fun. Oh my god, thank you! It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're so hospitable. You're the best. And you did get attacked honor. by my cat. Oh my god, I didn't. Black pride, love it. <laughs> <laughs> Solidarity. Okay, over it out. Mm-hmm.